Human virtues are firm attitudes, stable dispositions, habitual perfections of intellect and will that govern our actions, order our passions, and guide our conduct according to reason and faith. Welcome to the Breakthrough of Grace podcast, a place where we share the stories of ordinary lives transformed by God's extraordinary graces. We invite you to join us as our speakers talk about their journey towards living lives of rich Christian authenticity to encourage and inspire each one of us. We are thankful you're here and taking this time to spend with us. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Welcome, friends, to this episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast with a talk by Joe Shalkevich. Joe is a husband, father, devoted family man, and devout Catholic who brings his faith into nearly all aspects of his life, including into his work as the owner and president of an entrepreneurial media company. In this talk, Joe borrows the concept of an elephant and a rider, a concept presented in Jonathan Haidt's book, The Happiness Hypothesis. Simply put, the elephant and rider metaphor seeks to describe the human experience in the following way. The elephant represents the power and weight of our emotions and impulses. The rider, on the other hand, represents our reason, that is, how we might calmly and more rationally choose a course of action. What makes Joe's talk compelling is that by borrowing this metaphor, and with it, the tension that develops as our emotions collide with our reason and our reason seeks to control our emotions, Joe arrives at this key question for the believer. How are we, called by God to grow in virtue, and do so not in denial of this tension between our elephant and our rider, that is, between our emotions and our reason, but by bringing these aspects of ourselves under the authority of God's grace. Drawing from the Catechism of the Catholic Church and his own experiences, Joe bridges us from the happiness hypothesis of Jonathan Haidt to the summit of our faith, present on the altar, which is the source of our deepest joy. Joe's talk was recorded live with a small prayer group on campus at John Paul the Great Catholic University. We hope it blesses you as much as it did us. I'm going to share a critique of Jonathan Haidt's writer-elephant metaphor. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but interesting, interesting author of our time but through the lens of Catholic understanding of virtue and vice. And 90% of what I will share will be direct quotes from the catechism of the Catholic Church. I went to look at virtue and vice and the catechism, and I'm like, oh, that's good. (laughs) Oh, that's good. (laughs) And then I was, you know, two pages in of notes of just quotes. So I'll do my best to reference what is the Catholic catechism quotes, but it's pretty much the whole thing. So let me start with a story. I, I haven't been to the doctor for a general physical in years, and I had to go through all the new patient admission questions I went just recently. 
they started with the normal information, weight, height, etc. Then it took a weird turn for sure. They asked about drinking, drug use, sexual activity, types of partners, literally asked me, uh, male, female, or both. And it stressed me out because it was a medical environment and I felt compelled to answer, you know, and I wasn't embarrassed with the answers I gave. I was overwhelmed by the thought that this is the new normal. So I'll come back to this. In his book, The Righteous Mind, Jonathan Haidt presents a convincing metaphor to represent the interplay between reason and emotion. The elephant, and this is a direct quote uh, from Jonathan Haidt, the elephant is all the machinations of emotions and neuropeptides and unconscious and subconscious processes. Everything that happens before word gets to the writer is done by the elephant. Fear, physical and emotional calculus. Let's call this all elephant calculus. Mm. So there's this elephant that's emotions, neuropeptides, unconscious and subconscious processing. A second note from the book, confabulating is the process of the writer taking credit for making decisions and inventing stories about why they were made. So no immediate free will, only reacting when we can be contemplative, then we have a bit of free will. We can only live our values through training the elephant such that its calculus and behavior match our values. Elephant calculus again. The extent to which we have trained our elephant is the extent to which we have free will. So rider, elephant, elephants in charge. Essentially, we don't have a free will in Jonathan Haidt's framework. It's simplification, but it's a fair enough description. So there is a lot of neuroscience and psychotherapy offered to back up the essence of the metaphor. But the ultimate headline is that our free will consists in first reflecting on the actions of our elephant, emotions and actions prompted by our basal ganglia and limbic system before we can ever apply the slow, inconsequential reason produced by our neocortex. So we have these three brains. The, the older ones are in charge. The neocortex thinks it's doing all the work, but it's, it's way behind everything. And second, using our reason to explain our actions as if we intended them. So pretty interesting thought on, on free will is all our reason is really doing is saying, oh, that, that's why I did that. <laughs> or possibly upon learning what the elephant is responding to, we figure out a way to train it to respond in a way that aligns with our values. So that's, that's the framework of the writer and elephant. So I think there is value in this metaphor. Equating our primal desires and emotions to an elephant creates all kinds of great associations, size and power being main ones but also the ability to carry a rider through terrain that they couldn't travel alone. The reality that once moving and accelerating, changing course is difficult even for an elephant or maybe even especially for an elephant. And the fact that even an elephant will run out of energy at some point. And finally, that elephants are pack animals. They generally do what all the other elephants are doing. So in equating our emotions to an elephant, I, I think there's some Definite value in that. And equating our intellect and will to a rider on an elephant also has its value. With the right tools, the rider can control the elephant. So that's fair. The rider has the plan for both the rider and the elephant. <laughs> has a good plan, whether it can get executed or not. The rider is indeed at the whim of the elephant if the elephant is out of control. 
Okay, so so that's kind of understanding the writer and the elephant and um, Jonathan's position. Let's take a quick look at the Catholic understanding of virtue and vice. And again, this next section is basically me reading the catechism to you. So straight out of the catechism, I quote, God created man, a rational being, conferring on him the dignity of a person who can initiate and control his own actions. God willed that man should be, quote, left in the hands of his own counsel so that he might of his own accord seek his creator and freely attain his full and blessed perfection by cleaving to him. Beautiful stuff. Uh, another quote, man is rational and therefore like God. He is created with free will and is master over his acts. This is a, as a quick shout out to the Catholic deposit of faith. We're sitting in a Catholic university in 2022, reading a quote from the Catechism of the Catholic Church published in 1995. The quote I just read to you is anchored in the pastoral constitution written in 1965, which anchors itself in a quote by St. Irenaeus written in 130 to 202 AD, which anchors itself in Syriac, which was written in 200 to 175 BC. Mm -hmm. So kind of amazing, right? As a reference. <laughs> And a, a, another thing that just touched me is St. Irenaeus heard the preaching of Polycarp, who studied with John the Evangelist, who arguably is the single human being who spent the most time with Jesus and Mary, if we really think about it. So it struck me when I was on a webinar yesterday listening to an author dialoguing with one of his former professors who had studied under uh, von Hildebrand, Dietrich von Hildebrand, big fan of his that this author was the same degree of separation from von Hildebrand as Irenaeus was from John the Evangelist and Polycarp was from Jesus. So the book that we were discussing in this was The Irreducibility of the Human Person, which I, I highly recommend you read, but digression over. But our deposit of faith is miraculous on its own. I mean, that's the, the depth of what we're digging into here. Back to the discussion. So another quote from the Catholic Catechism. Freedom is the power rooted in reason and will to act or not to act, to do this or that, and so to perform specific actions on one's own responsibility. By free will, one shapes one's own life. Human freedom is a force for growth and maturity in truth and goodness. It attains its perfection when it is directed toward God, our beatitude. And freedom makes a person responsible for his or her acts to the extent that they are voluntary. Progress in virtue, knowledge of the good, and asasis enhance the mastery of the will over its acts. There's a great section in the catechism titled The Morality of Passions, which you don't immediately connect with uh, the and they may be the passions as a as a moral a moral good or a moral thing. The human person is ordered to beatitude by his deliberate acts. The passions or feelings he experiences can dispose him to it and contribute to it. So a person is ordered to beatitude, and our passions and feelings can actually dispose us to and contribute to that beatitude. The term passions actually belongs to the Christian patrimony. And feelings or passions are emotions or events of the sensitive appetite 
that incline us to act or not to act in regard to something felt or imagined to be good or evil. So the feelings or passions are emotions or movements of the sensitive appetite. So that that is that elephant, right? I mean, if we if we start thinking about it, it's saying the same thing and that that elephant is going to move, be moved toward good or evil. The passions are natural components of the human psyche. They form the passageway and ensure the connection between the life of the senses and the life of the mind. Our Lord called man's heart the source from which the passions spring. There are many passions. The most fundamental passion is love, aroused by the attraction of the good. Love causes a desire for the absent good and the hope of attaining it. The movement finds contemplation in the pleasure and joy of the good possessed. The apprehension of evil causes hatred, aversion, and fear of the impending evil. And this movement ends in sadness at some present evil or in the anger that resists it. Direct quote from, from the catechism. And to maybe one of the most powerful things that the church offers through Thomas Aquinas is that to love is to will the good of another. So I hope you see, you know, this interesting interplay between the motions, the elephant and the will in our Catholic teaching. All other affections have their source in this first movement of the heart toward the good. And then in and of themselves, passions are neither good nor evil. They are morally qualified only to the extent that they effectively engage reason and will. So that's interesting, right? Um, these passions are only morally qualified when they engage are engaged by reason and will. Passions are said to be voluntary, either because they are commanded by the will or because the will does not place obstacles in their way. It belongs to the moral good that passions be governed by reason. You know, it's really clear that our church teaches that the rider can control the elephant at a, at a minimum level. The upright will orders the movement of the senses it appropriates to the good and to the beatitude. An evil will succumbs to disordered passions and exacerbates them. Emotions and feelings can be taken up into the virtues or perverted by the vices. Powerful stuff, quotes from, <laughs> from the Catechism. In the Christian life, the Holy Spirit himself accomplishes his work by mobilizing the whole being, with all its sorrows, fears, and sadness, as is visible in the Lord's agony and passion. I had to really dig into this. That's direct quote in the catechism. And how did the Lord's agony and passion play here? Okay, so moral perfection consists in man's being moved to the good, not by his will alone, but also by his sensitive appetites, as in the words of the psalm, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God, Psalm 84. So we talk about being able to be more perfect, you know, and what does perfect mean? It, it means when my rider and my elephant are aligned to the good, right? And my rider isn't fighting my elephant, he's riding it to the good or she's riding it to the good. Human virtues are firm attitudes, stable dispositions, habitual perfections of intellect and will that govern our actions, order our passions, and guide our conduct according to reason and faith. So huge quote from the catechism that adds a 
another character to the play that we're going to talk about. I'll read it again. Human virtues are firm attitudes, stable dispositions, habitual perfections of intellect and will that govern our actions, order our passions, and guide our conduct according to reason and faith. And faith being <laughs> the key. Okay, so just quick, what are those virtues? We have prudence, which is the moral virtue that disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. So prudence disposes our practical reason to discern our true, the, the true good and achieve it. Justice is the moral virtue that consists in the constant and firm will to give their due to God and neighbor. Fortitude is the moral virtue that ensures firmness in difficulties and constancy in the pursuit of good. And temperance is the moral virtue that moderates the attraction of pleasure and provides balance in the use of created goods. So these are, in my estimation, tools that help the rider and elephant work together, right? Ways in which we get them to align. So human virtues are acquired by education, by deliberate acts, and by a perseverance ever renewed in repeated efforts are purified and elevated by divine grace. I'll read that again. Human virtues acquired by education, by deliberate acts, and by a perseverance ever renewed in repeated efforts, all of those are purified and elevated by divine grace. Super, super important. So our virtues get purified and elevated by divine grace. Vices, on the other hand, are firm attitudes, stable dispositions developed from habitual relinquishing of intellect and will to our passions, ultimately losing connection with the guidance of reason and faith. We know them, the primary vices are pride, avarice, envy, wrath, lust, gluttony, sloth, and asadia. Okay, so now if we come back to the rider and elephant metaphor with the lens of Catholic understanding of virtue and vice, I feel like we have some powerful tools, I think, for our time. In Height's framework, as we kind of shared and, and looked at, there are only two players, a rider and an elephant. With only our facilities of intellect and will, we are forced to recognize that the elephant is significantly stronger than us and is reacting before we even begin processing. We have to accept this reality and plan for a world of mostly rampaging, out-of-control elephants with stressed-out riders just waiting for the elephant to run out of energy. And when our elephants are exhausted, do as much work as we can to coddle, bribe, threaten, and trick them into following our intellect and will to where is best for both of us. It's for sure an unrealistic ideal to believe any rider could truly control a rampaging elephant all the time. We make progress in the downtime when the elephant is exhausted and for as long as our strategies hold. In contrast to that, the Catholic understanding of the human person recognizes a third player, a unique soul. God's breath of life that animates both the rider and the elephant is the third player. Our soul is that thing that makes us us and connects the elephant and the rider together to form one whole single, and as I've recently learned, irreducible organism. 
As we read earlier, in the Christian life, the Holy Spirit himself accomplishes his work by mobilizing the whole being with all its sorrows, fears, and sadness. And as is said, as is visible in the Lord's agony and passion. So Jesus being human had a rider and an elephant. His elephant and rider were both fighting with all their might to run out of the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus' soul, being the actual third person of the Trinity, ordered his rider and his elephant to God's will. God, let your will be done, not mine be done. Jesus didn't pray, let my own will order my own passion. His will, his rider, his elephant, wanted out, wanted out. Virtues are the practice of the rider directing the elephant to the good. The sacraments provide us access to grace. Grace purifies and elevates our virtues to the point where we are capable of having an elephant that only responds to the good, and in fact, uses all its strength and power to attain it. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And we can even elevate our irreducible person to the point where we can trust God's will for us, even when our rider questions it and our elephant would rather not go in that direction. Vices are the practice of the rider allowing the elephant to stray from the good, allowing the elephant to develop appetites and emotions for things that ultimately create an unruly elephant. At some point, the rider, exhausted, stops trying to redirect the elephant and justifies the elephant's behavior. And once that step has been taken, it's helpful if other elephants are acting in the same way. It validates the justification. In the downtimes when the elephant is run out of steam, the rider just rests and waits. The soul that animates them both feels defeated, depressed, and starts to believe the justifications and their validation. Having moved so far from the good, the soul stops trying to orient to it. We live in a time overrun by elephants. Our natural instinct is to judge the people flying out of control around us on their rampaging elephants and wonder why they allow themselves to be so out of control. Those of us who feel we do so are living in sanctifying grace, which we feel turns out to be easy. So how can we not look around and judge? But that judgment is actually coming from the elephant. And some of us don't even realize that our elephant is as in charge of us and is rampaging as much as those we are judging. Satan loves this because he's slowly coaxing the elephant away from the good and the rider is unaware. So maybe living in sanctifying grace isn't as easy as it seems. Pope Francis says we are living in a time of global warfare and the church is a field hospital. And when I hear that, I'm inspired. And I think that's right. I am here to heal people's wounds, not to judge them. But that too can be an elephant-controlled thought based on pride and judgment. I'm the healer and everyone is wounded. If the church is indeed a field hospital for our epoch, and we are in global warfare, then I am as much one of the wounded as one of the healers. I need the church to heal me as much as I need to be the healing arms of the church. I need to make sure I triage the board in my eye so I can triage the splinter in my neighbors. When I was asked about my alcohol use, drug use, sex life, partner preference at my local medical establishment, I was angry and I was appalled and thought about how not to support this institution any longer. But the truth of it is, that is my elephant taking me away from the good. 
Maybe knowing this information helps the medical profession triage the epidemic of humanity exhausted and waiting. I don't know. I do know that I'm not called to boycott the hospital. I have to figure out how to help humanity regain its pursuit of virtue. I have to help humanity recognize its patterns of vice. I look around at the exhausted masses, the flicker of hope for even belief in an objective good fading, and it's daunting. I see the devastation of rampaging elephants upending many of the vestiges of truth, beauty, and goodness, and I too feel exhausted. I too feel hope flicker and dim. And then I go to mass. It's quiet, peaceful, restful. I hear the word of God. It's relevant. I consume the Eucharist. And the Jesus that conquered his human nature in Gesem is with me. He refreshes my rider and my elephant, filling them both with faith, hope, and love. And the deacon blesses me and sends me out out of the field hospital and into global warfare. But I'm smiling because I'm a focused rider on top of a powerful elephant, purified and elevated, charging onto the battlefield with a triage kit of faith, hope, and love. And at least for a minute, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Breakthrough Grace podcast. Feel free to check the show notes for discussion questions and thoughts for further reflection. Before we return to the pace and cadence of our day, I encourage you to pause. What of Joe's talk spoke to you? How is God stirring something in your soul? We are praying for you, our listeners. We look forward to having you join us on a future episode as people describe their ordinary lives transformed by God's extraordinary graces. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast. We're a small word-of-mouth movement. Can we ask you to share it with a friend? Please see our show notes and website for discussion questions and other resources. Until next time, may God bless you, keep you, and make His face shine upon you.